Hello everyone and welcome to Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. My name is Matt. Thanks a lot. You think I'm acting, but I'm not. Tell them, girls. His name is Matt. Thanks a lot. Uh, and I'm Micah. Every week on Animation Celery, we give each other cartoons to watch. And then, the next week, we review and discuss them. Our theme this week, uh, in honor of Movember, is cartoons with mustaches. <laughs> I'm going to look at two half-episodes of The Amazing World of Gumball. And uh, Matsy's going to look at a hairy episode of The Tick. And, you know, but first, as we always do, we gab about goofs. So, Matsy, give us some goofs. And um, when is this going up? So I think by the time you're listening to this, I think uh, there will be a Splatfest happening in Splatoon 3. Mm. So pick your side. The theme this time is, what's your starter in Pokemon Scarlet and Violet? Are you going to do uh. the grass type, the fire type, or the water type? I don't know. I haven't had the spoon fed to me, so I don't know what they are. Oh, well, I, I don't think it's specific. I mean, they're doing it because of the release of Pokemon uh, Scarlet and Violet next week. But I think it's just general, you know, what starter do you like in Pokemon? I don't think it's specifically like those three Pokemon. But just so you know, the grass starter is mm -hmm. a grass cat called Sprigatito. <laughs> the, yeah. Uh, the fire starter is a little lizard thing that looks like a bubble bobble. Uh, oh, it, it's called Fue Coco. <laughs> and uh, the water starter is a duck with a drop of water on its head called Quaxley. <laughs> that sounds like the one that it's got to be, but I guess I, I need to have a look at them all to know. Yeah, me I try to do water every time unless one of the other ones is just too good to pass up. Like in Sword and Shield, well, I was playing Sword, um, I went with the Fire Bunny character, uh, Score Bunny, who mm. I named Michael Palin. Uh, that, that game was set in an English-based region, and so I tried to name all my Pokemon after uh, British things as best I could. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, this one is set in a Spain-inspired world. Hmm. So that's why there's things like Sprigatito and Fuecoco. Um, and it made me wonder if Quaxley is pronounced Quaxley. Yeah. Um, boy. Fuecoco, was it? Fuecoco. It looks pretty much like Totodile's evolutions. A little bit. Yeah. And, um, Quaxley's, hmm? is Quaxley's, uh, final evolution basically just Articuno? I haven't actually seen the final evolutions. So oh, I wait. don't know. No, 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 no. This is, this is somebody screwing with this. Sorry. I'm no looking at a bad, I'm looking at a bad Divan art. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm looking at the real deals. Yeah. Hmm. They all look pretty good, actually. Yeah, mm. I, I feel like I, I feel like I might have to go with Sprigatito. Yeah, but I don't know. Quaxley is pretty. I mean, Fuecoco, I can take or leave, but uh, 
I think all the furries are going to go for uh, <laughs> go for the grass one. Well, that's like the thing about that one is that it's very similar to I think it was in Sun and Moon. Uh, the yeah. fire, the fire starter was a fire cat called Litten. Which, oh, which eventually evolved into Incineroar, who everybody knows from Smash Brothers. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of on the fence about this one. I want to say water. And I'm probably going to pick team water in the actual Splatfest, but I feel like when I start playing the games, I might go with Sprigatito, but I don't know. I, th- I think they all look good. Now, hmm. I don't think there's a wrong answer. There's rarely been a wrong answer in Pokemon games. I am one of the rare people who didn't like Chimchar in whatever. Huh. I think it was Diamond and Pearl. Um, but everyone else is like, oh, Chimchar's the best. No, I was I was with the Penguin. Uh, whatever it's Piplup. That was it's called. Oh, Piplup's cute. Yeah, I like Piplup. Yeah. I, oh, my Empoleon. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think you can go wrong with this with this set, except that the grass one is definitely the uh, most rule thirty four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, pending what the ever evolutions are. Anyway, uh, moving on. Yeah. You know, I've said before that sometimes there'll be a cartoon that I really like, but then I just stop watching it and I don't have a good reason, and then long time later I'll go, oh right, that thing, and then I'll watch it again. Right. You and everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So. This past week, it popped into my head that I never finished Infinity Train. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I watched the first and second seasons, and I saw a trailer for the third season, which intrigued me. But I never actually hmm. watched it, and I never heard about a fourth season. So I figured, well, let me see how this ends. So I went to look at Infinity Train, and I immediately discovered that there is a fourth season. All right. So I was like, huh, okay, so... I mean, there. Each season is ten, eleven-minute episodes, so it's a really small investment to just binge the whole thing. Okay. So, so I did. Um, have you seen Infinity Train at all? Hardly anything. Yeah. Um, so just to to give an idea, like Infinity Train is one of those shows where it's like a mystery and you learn what the show is by watching it. And it's not, it's not something to talk about because it'll spoil it. Like if I tell you everything that goes on in infinity train, then the fun of watching it and learning for yourself would be spoiled. Okay. The basic idea of it is that it's a train and it has seemingly infinite cars. And each one is a little pocket dimension where any possible rules could apply. It is literally like, you know, an in infinite universe, anything is possible. Well, that's this, like every, you know, one car, um, one car has a bunch of objects, all different colors. And there's a clock with different colors. Like it's red a clock. And then it okay. changes to orange a clock and all the red things disappear and orange things appear instead. Mm. Or, or, you know, there's a car where it's a perpetual blizzard or a beach or just made of chrome or whatever. And it each has a puzzle that you have to solve to open the exit to get on to the next car. Now, in this world or in this train, uh, humans sometimes get on as passengers. A human that gets on the train will get a number on their right hand, a glowing green number. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't want to say too much about what that number is, but I'll tell you in the first season, uh, the, we establish that the rule 
is, according to the denizens of the train, <laughs> if your number ever reaches zero, you will disappear. Hmm. Okay. So the first season is about a girl named Tulip, and she wants to be a video game programmer. And she's, she's all set to go to this video game programming camp, except that her divorced parents have a scheduling mix-up, and no one is available to take her to the camp. Hmm. So... In a rage, she runs away from home to go to the camp herself. While she's out, she meets a little spherical robot with a happy side and a sad side called One One, who is looking for its mum. And with this robot, she gets on the train. Uh, she quickly discovers that outside the train is just a wasteland inhabited by these weird things with like a black panther body and a bug head that spray acid. They're called goms, it turns out. And she has her number and, you know, she is told if your number reaches zero, you'll disappear. And who can help her? Well, maybe the conductor. The conductor is probably in the engine. But where is the front of an infinite line? Hmm. So, okay. so away she goes. Uh, and after 10 episodes, I thought her story was wrapped up pretty definitively. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, how do you do a second season of this? And the answer is, you don't make the show about a specific character. You make it about the train. Ah, Digimon style. Okay. Because season two, the main protagonist is a character that was introduced in one episode of season one. Mm -hmm. Let's call her MT. Okay. And I don't really remember a lot about season two. I didn't like it as much. It wasn't as memorable. Because I mm. guess it wasn't establishing as much lore. But there was one episode that introduced a clan of, like, rogue children led by a couple of teenagers named Grace and Simon. They called themselves the Apex. And without going into detail, they misunderstand the numbers. Okay. They're a bunch of humans on, tr on the train, then. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, the, the train intersects with Earth. So mm. passengers are always humans. It's the denizens of the cars that can be literally anything. Okay. Uh, season three, the reason that it intrigued me was that the trailer led me to believe that it was going to be about Simon and Grace, the apex. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, this is cool. This, this uh, cult that has the numbers all wrong. And it was cool. Season three of Infinity Train is awesome. Okay. It, it was like, I, I am way into this. I love this. It was emotional. Like, the you want a show with character, like, good characters and character growth? That's what this show is. It was heartbreaking. I actually teared up during one episode. There was a, a scene that just really got me. And... Like, I can't, I, get, I don't want to give too many details because it would spoil it, but sure. it was season three of, of, I keep wanting to call it Adventure Time, too, and I don't know why. <laughs> season three of Infinity Train is awesome. And I was like, all right, let's get into season four. Hmm. And season four, um, kind of sucks. <laughs> it was maybe only relative. It was a shocking drop off from season three. Um, it because I think what may have happened here is that they've explained the train now. After three seasons, you kind of know everything about the way the train works. What is left to tell? 
Now hmm. it's just, here's two more guys and we're putting them on the train. Uh, it also kind of the, the two it's about these two, um, guys, uh, Ryan and Mingi hmm. and they end up on the train and they're a weird two for one deal where their numbers are synced. Okay. Um, but boy, they were not interesting. Their companion, generally speaking, the main characters will get some kind of a companion who is often a denizen of the train. Kind of like yeah. the doctor, I guess. Um, well, I was, I was going to say, I was going to link this to that in different chapters. And also that I get the sense that each train car is a time and relative dimensions and space kind of feel. Right. Um, like you can't when you go into a train car, it could be an open field. Right. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. It, they are bigger on the inside. Yes. Yeah. Um, their companion in this is a little floating like ring for service bell mm-hmm. named Kez. And she's awesome. I loved Kez. She's like, like this airheaded, like she's kind of like Dory from Finding Nemo, but without the memory issue. She's just okay. kind of flighty. Yeah. And she's great. But Ryan and Ryan and Min G just Min Gi, I'm sorry. I always mispronounce mm. that. They just really bugged me. And also it bugged me that they were th- this show hammers you over the head with the fact that they're Canadian. Like oh. it will not shut up about how Canadian they are. Just like Canadians in real life. I guess. <laughs> It's like, you know, oh, it's cold in here. Oh, you're the worst Canadian. Oh, look at these oak trees. Those are maple trees. Who's the worst Canadian now? There's a scene where Kez is eating ketchup chips, even though she's not Canadian. Um, They talk about, oh, what are we going to do? We're just two Asian guys from BC. Oh, we're going to (laughs) go across Toronto. We're from Powell River. We're uh, they say sorry instead of sorry. Like, oh, okay. they just it just batters you like they will not stop like we sure are canadian like yeah i don't have you heard people in bc say sorry i don't think we say that i i I don't know i i don't really pay attention i mean i for me when i went to those voice acting classes in the late 90s the sorry was mentioned as a very specific like you know if you want to be a voice actor in american cartoons you're gonna have to learn the american accent and certain words like, mm. they don't say sorry, they say sorry. And ever since then, I have said sorry. But I have I guess, also been told yeah. that I have a Canadian accent that comes out, so... Eh. I guess I do say, like, sore. Mm. So I guess if you exaggerated it, sorry. Um, yeah. The one that I never... Uh, the Terrence and Philip in South Park. Uh, yeah. When they did that, everybody was... Maybe it wasn't even that. Maybe it was a Canadian-specific episode. They were saying a boot. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, nobody I know in Canada says a boot. Yeah. And then finally I saw a YouTuber who was an Anglophone Montrealer, I think, or Quebecer at least, who said a boot. But prior to that, I'd never heard it. I have had Americans tell me that I have said a boot. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I said about. Yeah. And like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, you just said it again. I'm like, that's not a boot. It's about. It's a different. I mean, yeah. it's not about. Well, like, I, I can say it with an A. It's like about. We say about. Yeah. But they want I, a boot. Like I think I think mine is sort of like it's sort of a Scottish remnant, I think, where I would say about and then there's like a wit in there. About, you know? About? Hmm. Yeah. About. I mean, I can see about about, like you get to the end. Oh, also a, there's a, wit, a part yeah. where they're 
there was a part where they're trying to get into this club. Mm-hmm. And so to get past the bouncer, they're like, oh, we're way cooler than these hosers, eh? Like, shut up. <laughs> you might say that if it was 1979. <laughs> yeah. I think even this stuff is like Eastern Canada, if anything. These guys specifically say they're from Powell River, B.C. They're like, that is like literally, like, I mean, I don't live in Powell River, but I live in B.C. Like, this is literally the closest Canadians you will get to us. And like, my God. But anyway, so that kind of annoyed me. Also, it, I think there might be a season five because there was some implication that something is wrong with the train. Like it's, the story is about Ryan and Min Gi, mm-hmm. but the, the, the powers of the train, the, the people who are running the train kind of pop up in a couple of places and, and say something that kind of like, well, that's, wait a minute, based on what I've seen in the last three seasons, that's not normal. And so I get the impression that there is motion going on. Like something behind the scenes is happening. The train, something is wrong with the train. We don't get to see what it is yet, but we've been kind of tipped off that something's not right. And so I guess we'll have to wait to season five to see what that is. But at the same time, boy, season four really left a bad taste in my mouth. Well, the, um, the, the idea is to progress within the train, right? Yeah. Well, to, to make I, I, achievements by getting from car to car. I there is a purpose to being on the train, but I don't want to say what it is because sure. that's a spoiler. Well, I'm just wondering if anybody tries to just like walk along the top of the train for a long period of time. Oh, yeah. But I, but I wonder if there's like no point to that or if eventually you just get bored. You can. Yeah. Um, I think. I don't believe that the purpose of the train is necessarily tied to going through the cars. Okay. I think hmm. going through the cars is helpful and being outside the cars is hard because they are quite big. It is possible to climb up on top of them and stuff, but um, I I think I I don't think the cars really have much to do with the purpose of the train, but I think they are helpful. I think it would be I think it would be harder to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish if you just skipped all the cars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'd just be the stuck on the uh, physics of the train, like. <laughs> um. On the outside, does it have windows or is it just like all enclosed? It's just big metal boxes with big wheels. I'd still be like tempted to try something like hammering a pinhole through the train wall and seeing what it looks like from the outside, that kind of thing. Hmm. Well, uh, you can see inside through the door. Oh, yeah. Hmm. But even even then, if if it's such a big... If it's such a big expanse inside the train car, what happens if you make a pinprick that's about 10 centimeters apart from each other? Would you then mm. be looking kilometers apart when you looked at one? You know, it's, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, maybe Heck. it's not possible. I don't know. Yeah. If you set your both your eyes over both holes, would you then get double vision of two entirely different places? <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um what happens if you do that with the TARDIS? Like, true, true. It's basically what it is. But yeah. It, it, um, and it has windows. Yeah, true. Yeah. 
so yeah, uh, I guess to wrap up infinity train season one is pretty cool. Cause you're learning a mystery season two. I have largely forgotten mm. season three is great. Season four is where this train is starting to run out of steam a little bit. Oh, um, but I'm curious about what they're setting up for season five and I will eventually watch it. I think sounds like an excellent role-playing game setting. I bet it is maybe adapted mm. from one too. Possibly. I wonder how the numbers would tie into that. Hmm. I mean, I could tell, like, I don't want to spoil it for the listeners and I don't want to spoil it for well, you well, unless well, you ask me to, but okay. Maybe, maybe to that end, the game would ask you to reinvent it, you know? And then each, each individual setting within the premise would, would give you a different mechanic, whether it was numbers on you or something else. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. I think, I think the num it it would be a weird, I think it would be weird for a DM to figure out how to deal with the numbers. Hmm. All right. <laughs> um, or if a player dealt with the numbers, then it would be hard because you're not, you're not supposed to know when you get on the train, what the number means. So for a player to, it's either they decide for themselves what the number means, in which case, you know, what's the point? You're not learning anything or the DM decides what the number means, but then well, that doesn't work either because it's a personal thing. That reminds me of how like the, uh, the Dungeons and Dragons Dragonlance modules would have alternatives to the way they play out in the books. Mm. So it'd be like the dragon orbs do this, or maybe they do that, you know, Fizbin, maybe he's this, this or that so that it deviates from the books. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you could, you could do the same kind of thing there. Yeah, there's a, there's something there. Well, anyway, I guess, I guess you have no choice but to be cryptic until I watch more of it. So, yeah, yes, hmm. I, I just don't want to, like I said, the fun of it is learning. Like the first season is a lot of fun because you're like, what is this number? Hmm. Why is it just randomly go down? Hmm. What happens when it hits zero? Um, it's also fun because there, there are very few recurring characters who go through all four seasons, hmm. but, um, one of them is a cat hmm. and she is kind of a shyster. She's like a, she's a collector. She's always looking for money and she's voiced by Kate Mulgrew. And oh. that's pretty great. Oh, there was a character in the fourth season. And I thought about you. I, I, oh, I mean, yeah. this is, this is dumb because there was an episode called the pig baby car. <laughs> okay. And it was this giant baby pig. And to get out of that car, they had to make the, pig a treat yeah and so it's this big baby pig just throwing a tantrum like oh treat <laughs> and okay. then in the voice credits i saw that this baby pig was voiced by jk simmons neat and i was like that's awesome <laughs> uh jk simmons and alfred molina are both in this so you got uh so you, you got, got spider-man uh, too yeah you got jj jameson and dr octopus yeah. Uh, somebody, um, the, there's one of uh, the companions in the first season is the king of the corgis from the corgi car. Okay. Uh, oh, you know, I think, I, I think I've seen part of that one. It, that was actually the pilot. Okay. It's, yeah. I yeah. think it's, I think it's the third episode in like, I think what they did was they made that episode as a pilot. Right. And then when they actually made the series, they remade it, but as the third oh. episode. So, so probably that's what I've seen of the show. 
Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, the King of the Corgis is voiced by Ernie Hudson. Oh, yeah. A.K.A. the fourth forgotten Ghostbuster. <laughs> the one I like less than Arsenio Hall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's some good voice. There's some good voices. Like every once in a while, I'll just I'll just who is that voice? Oh, neat. It was, you know, like I said, Alfred Molina or J.K. Simmons or um, I don't know. I was I was really excited about Kate Mulgrew. I was like, oh, man, Captain Janeway is in this. That's weird. Must have uh, had a lot of connections, I guess. Yeah, maybe it feels like there's somebody else. It was like, oh, uh, the Goms, the little yeah. um, the yeah, yeah. panther bug creatures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to guess who voices their little <laughs> noises? Um, <laughs> D. Bradley. <laughs> my writer. Uh, no. No. Yeah, that's it. D. Bradley Baker. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This century's Frank Welker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, oh, I guess literally. Yes, your gibberer of choice. Yeah. Anyway, that's pretty much what I did. You know, watching two seasons of a show. Uh, so how about you? You know, we're like a couple weeks past Halloween now, so we're in the, mm. uh, the candy doldrums. Well, uh, can, it's, it's candy doldrums in that there's some candy that's suddenly 50% off and some candy that's all red and green and peppermint. Okay. Yeah. From, from, from my, the, my premise here is being a kid and having that, uh, hall that gets, oh, yeah. okay. that gets thinned out. So all the chocolate all right. bars go right away, you know, yeah, and, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and you eventually end up with that orange and black, um, toffee, I guess it is. Oh boy. A little box of sun ripe raisins. Yeah. Yeah. Is it the sun made sun made. Yeah. This is a uh, sucker season. Hmm. And of course, um, seasonal fun sized goo tubes, Geppel's boo. Ah, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh, it's a yep. lo- long walk. Um, yep. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> I, uh, oh, oh, yeah. oh, you yeah, reminded yeah. me of something. I had yeah. a dream last night that was amusing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I dreamed that they made, just as a one shot, yeah. a new episode of the filmation He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Excellent. Like with all the voice actors and the same like, like animation and everything. And I woke up thinking like, nobody's ever done that, have they? Like they reboot shows and they make new seasons of shows and refine them, but nobody's ever taken an old show and just made a new one in the exact same style of the old one. Kind of. They do now. Uh, there's a YouTuber who makes the next generation, just like the uh, Star Trek animated series. Oh, so okay. kind of. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I thought that was, I woke up thinking, man, that was, that was kind of cool. That's kind of what I was hoping the uh, revelations was going to be. <laughs> you know, pretty much the same art style and so on. Yeah. I don't remember anything about this episode except that Clamp Champ was in it. <laughs> Lucky him. Yeah. I'm not even anyway, sure if he is in an episode of uh, Filmation. Uh, probably not. I suspect that he was late enough that the show had stopped production by that yeah, point. Yeah, right. No Ninja or no Clamp Champ. Um, no, ex- no Extendar, which is good because yeah. he would have made Mechanic obsolete. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry um, to interrupt. Carry on. Well, talking about adaptations of old uh, Masters of the Universe properties, uh, more She-Ra, um, uh-huh. which means more freaking bots. I had this complaint <laughs> before that 
the robots that work for Hordak are called bots. Everybody says bots, and I don't think they should. I think they should have a proper name, mm. even even if not a uh, tacky uh, Masters of the Universe style vehicle name. Right. But nope, still plaguing me, still bugs the heck out of me. Um, <laughs> I got an episode that featured more of Spinnerella and Natasha. Oh, yeah. And is it the one where one of them was corrupted? No, no, they were having a competition like Gimli and Legolas about how many bots they could defeat. <laughs> oh, okay. um, and they were okay, but you know, while I was kind of complaining that they're just in the background, I think they would have been better just kept that way as more serious kinds of characters or understated mm. at least, which mm. they still kind of are relatively speaking. Um, yeah. Anyway, as usual, the villains keep stealing the show. Yeah. There was one episode where there were two plots uh, going parallel. Shira was trying to pry information about Mara from Light Hope. Right. And in the other plot, uh, the uh, the Horde squad that we see more, more of than any other, uh, Lonnie, Rogelio, and Kyle were yeah. transporting armor plating. But there was a... Uh, Actually, this interfered with both of them, that there was a storm of, like, acidic particles. Yeah, that was, acid rain. That, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was way more invested in the Horde and them trying to uh, get their vehicle running. Of course. Yeah. I kind of like Rogelio. The, he's a lizard man. Mm -hmm. um, and he just grunts. And <laughs> I thought for a while that he had a Chewbacca-like relationship with them. But come to find out, they don't actually understand what he's saying. <laughs> um, anyway, you know, I likes me some monster guys, so I'm glad that he's in the show. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Speaking of monster people, uh, Double Trouble is factoring into the season. Oh, right. Them. Yeah. Double Trouble's a shapeshifter. Um, yep. Or at the very least, able to disguise themselves. Um, mm -hmm. Double and... Trouble as a toy. Oh, yeah. Um, was like a secret agent with like a double-headed, a double-sided head. Right. Like many faces, but less. So right, a, right. She had a bell, like a flower bell-shaped hat. And I guess the face yeah. rotated in that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this design's a huge improvement on that Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the, in the show, Double Trouble's kind of like a chameleon. Yeah. Um, who really tries to give away the game by... Making making their eyes do the sideways eyelid blink once in a while mm -hmm. whenever it's like, ha, 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 I'm undercover. Um, yeah. What was her, what was the little girl um, that Double uh, Trouble disguised? Flutterina. Flutterina. Yeah. Flutterina. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to some degree, I felt that they were just kind of exploiting this double agent take in very petty ways. Like, uh, uh, we'll have a very slight advantage in this ambush when they should be playing the long game, but they kind of are. And I like that, that they like set up, um, uh, they set up some, uh, tricks like that. The idea that the horde is tracking them through Shira when right. in fact it's through. Yeah. It's, it, it's by having an informant. Um, yeah. Anyway, cool. And you know, more dimensions to the horde than a bunch of armored guys who, especially in these episodes are just getting battered. <laughs> Like, they might as well be the action figure that splits apart into a bunch of limbs, right? Um, <laughs> I, I'm really surprised at the upping of violence again. It's like that second episode where Shira just uh, 
manhandles, or She-Ra handles, I guess, all of the uh, Horde Troopers, she's, like, knocking them into the sky, literally. <laughs> <laughs> she she knocked one, uh, like, 100 meters, and then into a metal wall, which caved in to the shape of the trooper that hit it. <laughs> so last week, I think I joked that the Horde Infirmary has more occupants than the barracks. <laughs> yeah. And surely that must be the case. She's got to be crippling all these horror troopers. It's um, just that it's just that scene from Gone with the Wind panning over the yes, dead, yes. injured the, soldiers. Yeah, they're so cavalier about it now. About seeing seeing all the uh, seeing Bo and uh, uh, Glimmer and uh, uh, and Shira just wail on these troopers. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so. I ended on a Scorpia episode when she makes her big decision mm. and, you know, Scorpia episode. So it was really welcome. Um, yeah. Gosh, I remember the start of that episode. And it was like the first shot of her shelf with her, like, yes. and her little stuffed scorpion. And I was like, oh, man. And yeah. like, have you have you noticed how her image in this opening credits has changed over the seasons? I did. Yes. Yeah. that I love that. How she's like looking all. Uh, I'm big, strong, hard lady. And then by the time it gets to like the fourth season, she's got her arms crossed and she's like, uh, I don't know if I should be in the villain page. It's very telling uh, to back up my premise that the villains are more interesting, that they got yep. most of the changes in the opening credits. Yep. Um, yeah. So yeah, good episode. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing a plot focused on her. The, con the contrivance I didn't really buy that, uh, uh, that Katra and Hordak need um, Entrapta's files. Mm. And the only way to get them would be to dismantle Emily, the uh, robot. Sorry, right. the bot. Um, yeah. And yet, when it's convenient, Emily just shows recorded footage to sway Scorpia. It's like it's a big <laughs> lie Emily's telling to manipulate <laughs> Scorpia or something. <laughs> But I found I found it pretty believable though the way that uh, uh, Scorpia happens to be part of the horde is that's just that she's always been more or less. They were conquered when she was a little girl, and it's gone it's gone like that. And uh, I guess her uh, royal line has been extinguished except for her. Yeah, kinda. Hmm. Anyway, the the Shira epic goes on. Um, one thing that's finished. I finished being puppy cat. Oh, man, I haven't even started that yet. Gosh Oof. darn it. I well, forgot. It, I keep forgetting about that. It's not long. Um, anyway, uh, so I get to the end, and I wonder, is this worth the ride? I say yes, but. Okay, so, you know, I've mentioned before that some anime have, like, deus, de, not even deus ex machina endings, just, like, spectacle endings, where you've, you've been following a show... It's established rules and plot points. And then it's almost like it all goes out the window at the end when you find out like, oh, so-and-so was really an angel. And, you know, mm. yes, this is about fighting with sticks, but now they're made of cloud monsters and, you know, just things that, yes, it's interesting to watch, but it kind of belies any sense of building the world up to that point. Mm. And being puppycat kind of does that, but... The Deus Ex Machina, is, is it Deus Ex Machina if it is introduced in the middle of the series and detailed throughout? Mm. I don't know. 
Um, anyway, the ending of it alludes to more stuff, but I'd be all right if this was just it and it was left to the imagination. Mm-hmm. Especially since like it takes a big departure where you're, you're not going to see a lot of these characters again. Um, yeah. Anyway, one thing, uh, I'd mentioned that, uh, Rumiko Takahashi, the, uh, manga creator of Ranma and Inuyasha and so on, uh, I felt was a humongous influence. And I was gratified to read that. Yes, it is a big influence on the uh, creator, Natasha Allegri. Hmm. You can right. really, you can really see it like in just like bits of animation. There's a bit where um, we'll call it a cable that, that B has to like lift this cable and throw it. And the end pose of her throwing it, it's just like, oh, man, that's Takahashi. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Oh, what else? Um, well, I don't know. You can cut this out if we if we run long here. There's um, uh, I saw some art from an article for Dungeons and Dragons returning to Kryn and Dragonlance. Okay. It was specifically focused on the Kender, um, basically halflings with sling staffs. Actually, maybe the start of the idea that halflings were playful as opposed to just the hobbits from Tolkien. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it seems like a lot of D&D settings. They're kind of like, OK, now what do we do with the halflings? It's like, yeah, yeah. In, in Eberron, they're like. You know, like these savage tribal dinosaur riding looters. Sure. I like the third edition visuals for Halfling the best. I like that they're lithe. So they're not just really short humans, but rather they're incredibly small overall. Mm. And it's really stark when you see their iconic uh, third edition party all together. And you can see like, wow, Lita's really small. Next <laughs> to them. Um, right, Lita. <laughs> yes. Uh, best iconic in my opinion, <laughs> but okay. So about this artwork, these halflings have incredibly long pointy ears. And this is a bugaboo for me that all these artists, these fantasy artists seem to be, uh, creatively bankrupt for giving ears to different fantasy races. They all <laughs> have pointy ears. Every one of them, pretty much. It's like humans and dwarves. And then things that don't have ears are what don't have Long pointy ears, <laughs> right? Halflings got them. Goblins got them. Hobgoblins got them. Mm -hmm. I bet you a lot of the time orcs have them. It's just like the default. Do something wonder, else. Well, I was going to say, I wonder if that's because that's what predatory animals have. But then I thought about it and that's not really true. Because like bears no. don't, lions don't. No. Yeah. Hmm. No, and um, also, uh, kind of a side thing here, it bugs me if elves are just sort of like the pointy-eared humans, because that's yeah. not a really great distinction. Like, uh, I, I guess I guess they could be skinny, but yeah. Yeah, I like to think, like, I've, I think I've said before, like, I, I made one character of each class in 5th edition D&D just to see if I could make one character... Uh, of every class using each race and of equal split of genders just okay. to see if I could make an, an interesting character in each one that I would be happy to play. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, my elf character is like, like, like pearlescent white skin. She's a moon elf. Okay. And like pearlescent white skin and like really 
like alien slender almost like it doesn't look it doesn't look weird it's not like you look at this person and think like oh that's just gangly and strange but it's strike she's a paladin so i was like right. that's part of the charisma is that she's just there's something about her that's just so striking that she just looks a little off enough to draw attention remember actually go back to third edition people didn't like it but at least it was distinct remember how elves had these kind of uh pyramidal heads <laughs> like yeah the point of the I'm, chin yeah i'm thinking of um i actually started thinking about the iconics as you called them mealy mealy yeah i was thinking of her face that weird her, triangle yeah her mileage varied but at least she was distinct yeah like as it is looking at these halflings i think if you were to describe an elf you would say hey you know what a kender looks like yeah just like that but taller <laughs> but yeah well um Oh, I should have. I should have worked a segue for to go from this to uh, the tick. Um, hmm. Hmm. Elves sometimes have weird colors, like blue for hair, and I well, I, it's not which word for eyes. Blue for hair. Hmm. How do you know they don't have eight legs? I guess because Mealy hardly wears anything. Ah, I was gonna say. Ah. I was gonna allude to the tick. Uh, elves suck blood. You don't suck blood. Right. I remember. Anyway. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. The tick. Um. Did you notice hmm. last time I said, I'm going to give you two half sods merged together, just like you did when you gave me Steven Universe. Do you realize that in that episode, when you gave me those two episodes of Steven Universe, I gave you an episode of The Tick? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I flipped. Yeah. That's cool. Huh. It's a callback. Yeah. Uh, the Tick. Yeah. So, um... The, the Tick, we've we've talked about The Tick before, but basically it's based on a comic by Ben Edlund, who, uh, it, it's a parody of superhero comics set in the city where all the bad superheroes go. Yeah. And I love that. I love the idea of a city that's just chock-a-block with just the worst superheroes. Right. Um, so this is one of the later episodes uh, with the second voice of Arthur, because they figured, hey... Arthur's voice isn't bland enough. Let's get Rob Paulson to really just do his ordinary voice. I like him, but uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got nothing against Rob Paulson, but it's oh, just kind of like... Well when, well, when you hear... I mean, he's he's less offend. Like, you know, when we were doing Bump in the Night, I said, hey, I was kind of happy to hear this voice from Rob. You sure. still hear it's Rob Paulson, but it's different. But this is like, okay, when he's just doing the Rob Paulson voice. Okay. Then it gets kind of old when he's not really putting effort into it. And that's what he's doing for Arthur here. But anyway, this episode is called that mustache feeling. Mm hmm. I thought this was going to be about dinosaur Neil, because in that episode, the tick gets caught in dinosaur Neil's mustache. And he says, he has the mustache of a Titan. Mm hmm. But no, it's not that. Or is it? Well, let's mm. find out. Uh, this one starts in Argentina, 1974, where scientists are doing something. And I love their dialogue here. Yeah. Like, this has to be Ben Edlund. Like, he's so smart. Ab absolutely. Like, yeah. He's like, the heavens will curse us for what we have wrought. Like, man, yeah. what a line. That's so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they have, they've created something terrible and immoral and one of them is grabbed by the tie and yanked down and something happens to his face, but we don't get to see it. And then we go to the present day, the city. I think this might be like 1994 or five. 
Mm. And the tick wakes up with a mustache. Eh. That was direct. Mm. Um, Arthur points out that the tick has never had to shave before. The tick just figures he must have been saving it up. And he's happy with his mustache. And everyone else is, too. The ladies are winking at him. All his friends, Deflator Mouse and uh, Sewer Urchin and American Maid are all complimenting him on it. And he won't shut up about it. Hmm. Until Arthur, like, after a day, Arthur is just tired of hearing about it. So he is relieved to get a phone call so he can listen to something other than the tick talking about his mustache. But he freaks out some when he finds out that his sister Dot is getting married to her boyfriend, Dinosaur Neil. <laughs> I didn't expect that. He has a mustache. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did notice that the next episode in the run is called The Tick versus Dot and Dinosaur Neil's Wedding. Actually, you know what's funny I, thing about that? What? This one has an irregular title for The Tick, because most of them are The Tick versus. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I didn't like that in the second season when they started not doing that. Yeah, it, like, hey. it, it was almost another parallel since uh, Gumball is always the something for every episode. Right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Almost. Almost. Anyway, while Arthur is on the phone, Tick decides that he needs to even out his mustache a little bit, and he picks up a shaver, but every time he isn't looking... The mustache actually reaches out to thwart him, turning off the shaver, slamming the medicine cabinet mirror in his face. All this stuff that he just doesn't see. And he just, you know, being the tick, he forgets what he was going to do and just goes to sleep. Hmm. And that night, while he's asleep, the mustache grabs the newspaper, looks at the personal ads and cuts out an ad from someone named R.B. who is seeking a mustache and wants to meet on the bridge. <laughs> The tick wakes up and catches this, and he starts screaming and fighting with his mustache, which tries to keep him quiet. And Arthur, who is sleeping, just overhears the tick yelling about his mustache, and he is not interested in the mustache. Now, after the commercial break, we go to Jim Rage. And I don't know why. Like, Micah, you're going to mock me for this, and rightly so. Yeah. I am amazed at how often I don't realize that the super familiar voice I'm listening to is Brad Garrett. Well, at, fir at first, on first blush, I thought uh, uh, Jim Cummings, just for the sake of symmetry that we've had Rob Paulson for three episodes and Jim Cummings would have been perfect here, too. But no. Yeah, I was I was fixated on J.K. Simmons because I had just oh, watched yeah. uh, Infinity Train. But uh, no, I the same thing happened when I was watching Bump in the Night. But I just right. didn't realize that the baby big what was his name big joe or big tom or whatever <laughs> yeah uh, I, I guess he's he, following us too brad garrett yeah it, brad yeah he's been on several episodes now two hulk hogan's right anyway but for some reason i just have a blind spot for him i hear him and i go oh i know that voice who is it and then Which i see is, brad garrett and i go oh man it's funny he's got one of the most recognizable voices in hollywood he totally does <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's crazy that i have this weird blind spot yeah. Anyway. So here he's a, a Nick Fury parody. Yeah, Jim Rage. Yeah. Uh, he works for a secret, perhaps non-existent, branch of the government in an operation called Project Shave. And he has three beauty school hairstylist angels, Kitty, Holly, and Crystal. 
and he seeks to eradicate the mustache. You're tracking the mustache on a mustache tracker. <laughs> I like that, the I like that each hmm? angel he goes over each angel's specialty. Yeah. And every one of them has demolitions as a specialty. Yeah, it's like ninjutsu, demolitions, yes. electrolysis. It's yeah. something, demolitions, and something to do with hairstyling. Yeah. <laughs> it is, that is good. Yeah, I actually had to rewind to check. I was like, wait a minute, did they all do that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, back in the apartment, Arthur is making phone calls because he's arranging Dot's engagement party. While the tick's mustache is typing a note on a typewriter. But the note is in Spanish, because remember, Argentina. Mm. And he just, he, he, the tick is so dumb, he doesn't even realize that he's looking at Spanish. He just thinks it's gibberish. He's I, like, I will not be mocked. Yes, I bet you, if you are on an internet forum and you say, I don't speak your crazy moon language, somebody would know. <laughs> somebody would know. Yeah. I had actually, I, um, a friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, they showed me a screenshot. It's like, hey, check out this screenshot from, I think they were playing Forza Horizon 5 or something. Yeah. And so they show me the, or it was a, it was a little clip of something cool they did. And I'm looking at the car and I saw that the car had the license plate, I'll race. Mm -hmm. And I went back to them and I said, okay, first of all, that's a pretty cool move. Second, did you get to make up that license plate yourself? And they were like, yes, I did. And then I started to type out, is that a reference to home movies? And as I was typing that, they said, it's from a cool cartoon. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, yeah, home movies. I'll race hmm. to feel the wind in my face and I'll race. And like they were, they were like, you were the first person who has ever noticed that. And I'm like, well, I know my cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, a fight between Tick and the mustache ensues as the Tick once again tries to shave. But the mustache gets the upper hand by actually going <laughs> up the Tick's nose and taking control of his brain. To some extent. Yeah. It, it then slams him through a, a a door. He does a lot of whimpering in this episode. <laughs> yeah, like this is the most taken to the tick has ever been. Yeah. He's just getting bodied by this mustache. Yeah. So then we get the party. And at the party, Tick consults with dinosaurs Neil Dinosaur Neil's neighbor, the swingin' black exploitation mustache haver, Taft. Taft. <laughs> yeah. But Taft is no help, since he has a normal mustache. All he knows is the mustache's date at the bridge at 10 o'clock is coming up. But then, Project Shave shows up to crash the party. And this is where Arthur finally realizes that something is actually wrong with Tick's mustache. Hmm. During the melee, the mustache jumps from person to person, finally escaping by attaching to Sewer Urchin and pulling him out the window. Now, Project Shave consults with the Tick in their RV, explaining that the mustache was created by American scientists as part of the arms race against the USSR, who had already developed a weaponized beard. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, oh, uh, <laughs> the mustache is brachiating through the city <laughs> yes. with Sewer Urchin, and as he passes by a window, a silhouette of a beard takes note. <gasps> Back in the RV, Kitty speaks Spanish and is able to translate the Tick's Spanish letter. Turns out the mustache means no harm, but it's in love with someone they've never met. And <laughs> the mustache also writes that Project Shave, he knows that the Tick 
the, the Project Shave won't be able to beat the tick. And also Project Shave lost their government funding in 1986. Though Jim Rage eats the letter and dismisses it as lies. <laughs> yeah. I like Jim Rage. Yeah. It's also around this time that the tick uh, lifts up Jim Rage's eye patch and realizes that he has two eyes. Yeah. You're not a secret agent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the RV catches up with Sewer Urchin and the mustache on the bridge where they have stopped. And the insane Jim Rage is preparing to blow up the mustache and Sewer Urchin with it. But then a mysterious stranger shows up and thwarts him with a beard. The Russian beard, RB from the ad. The mustache joins up with the beard on just this guy's face and the guy's totally normal and he just leaves. I, I love how completely like he is the most normal character in the tick. Right. Except He's that he just like, except that he leaves by abrogating a mustache and beard. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like he himself is like, he's like, it looks good on you. He's like, oh, thanks. No, well, see ya. There's and such, he just leaves. There's such a good line at this point too. When when was, the beard has um, rage in a in a hole, but then releases him. One of the angels yeah. goes, after all this, the mustache can still forgive. <laughs> <laughs> It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much the end of the episode. I mean, most Tick episodes like this one end with the Tick giving a little uh, end of episode soliloquy about how love is cool and Jim Rage isn't cool. And these these ladies are cool. He's like, what have I learned? <laughs> I've learned nothing. It's like it's just basically nothing. Yeah. Uh, there is a thing during the end credits here, though, where yeah. the Tick is answering a letter from a fan. <laughs> yes. Well, what would he do if bees took over the world? Well, the answer is he'd be their servant because he doesn't want to get stung. Hey. I guess that's his weakness. Because the tick's pretty impervious to most things. Yeah, I forgot they started doing that with the yeah. end credit. G good choice, I think, to make you stay. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Uh, so what do we say about this? I mean, the tick is awesome. I love the tick. This This was my favorite episode as a kid. Maybe still is of this show. Huh. Cool. I'll, I'll say the tick color design, I mean, of the show, it's pretty garish, yet sort of dim. Mm. Like <laughs> the typewriter has green keys in this. Yeah. Anyway, I you know what this color design reminds me of? Uh, the callback to recent episodes, the head. It's very <laughs> much like the head. Yeah. You know what? You're right. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if Acom did the head because X-Men is like this, too. And that's also Acom. Oh, uh, I think that the head is animated way too badly. Acom produced Rugrats as well. So come on. Um, remember what I said about Beavis and Butthead fan art? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got I got um, cookies. For, I got uh, I got uh, Easter eggs from this episode. Go ahead. Um, OK, so this personals ad page. Did you notice some yeah. of these? I'm sure there were some good jokes oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I got it open right now. Brown sugar. Our eyes met on the Crosstown bus. I was the tall brunette in red, white, and blue. Um, <laughs> oh, let's see. <laughs> That's American-made. Yeah. There's, oh. It's 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 hard to hard to pause on this. One is, um, one's It'd be clear. funny if, it would be funny if, like, half of them were from Deflator Mouse. Well, one of them is from Sewer Urchin. It's uh, found in sewer. One fragrant, flagrant, 
fragrant rather, one fragrant bachelor, um, avenging <laughs> bachelor. Oh, here's one that you'd appreciate. Yeah, baby, yeah. Explosive dynamic <laughs> go-getter seeks new mommy. That's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite episode of The Tick, as yeah, yeah. we discussed previously. <laughs> yeah, so I advise, like, uh, it's about five minutes and 20 seconds into the episode. If you just want to, like, go over all of the, the goofy personal ads on that page. Oh, that sounds good. That is nice stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, I'm going to talk about some of the voice actors. Townsend Coleman is back as the tick. And Michelangelo yep. in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's where you know him from. That's crazy. I can't believe that that's the same person. Yeah, he's got some range. Yeah, he does. Um, and I did get a little annoyed with how much, like, the tick breathes. Oh, yeah. Like, I know that's kind of weird, but it's like everything he says, it's amazing. It's a, oh, oh Arthur, we have to stop this mustache. Like, he's sounds like I know he's sounding dynamic and action packed, but he just sounds perpetually out of breath. He might be copying somebody, you know, like Maybe. a particular like Broadway actor or something. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What else you got? Oh, for tick stuff. Um, uh, well, if you want more. Teenage Ninja Turtle um, connections. Uh, Cam Clark is uh, Deflator Mouse and Leonardo. Yeah, that one. That one I did catch. That one's pretty obvious. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I um, guess I didn't realize that there was so much. And Rob Paulson's there, too. That's three of the Ninja Turtles. Right, right. Huh. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess that's uh, about it. But, you know, good episode. Fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, the tick is always fun. I, one of these days, I'm going to get around to finishing that live action, the second live action tick, mm. uh, the more adult one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, that one was weird because it's like it sets up the idea that all of the superheroes in the city were exterminated. Oh, which it's is like the which city. Is the, the funniest thing about the tick. Yeah, it's like the su- the city is the only city in America that has no superheroes. Heh. Yeah. Weird. Um, yeah, but but I like I like the characters they do introduce. Like there's uh, the lady, the lady villain who has electric hmm. powers, but because she constantly has a static charge, she's constantly attracting lint, and so she's called Miss Lint. Yeah, that's cute. Yeah, that's funny. And the terror is the main villain. Yeah, you know, the terror is like the hundred year old villain. Yeah, he's the Rachel yeah. Ghoul of uh, the Tick, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Except he just gets old. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, speaking of things that get old, um, what is going to happen to our friends Gumball and Darwin? Ooh, so nice. Um, This is The Amazing World of Gumball, created by Ben Boclet in 2011. Uh, So about this show, the titular character Gumball Watterson is a blue cat and a good-natured soft boy 12-year-old. His little sister is an intelligent pink rabbit, Named Anais. Um, Anais? Anais is probably how you say it. Anais is the yeah. pronunciation, yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't think her name actually gets said in these two episodes, but anyway. No, but it, it's said Anais. in other episodes. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It is Anais. I looked it up just to get it wrong here. Um, so their father... Well, Rick- it's got that weird umlaut over the eye. And right, right. You- Anais. Uh, so their father, Richard, is a schleppy, stupid pink rabbit. And their mother, Nicole, is a competent blue cat. Uh, Gumball also has an adoptive brother, Darwin, who is a long-legged goldfish who sleeps in the bowl next to his bed. 
Although, in this style of story, where people are apes, dinosaurs, living cupcakes, and so on, it feels like the distinction that he's adopted really isn't even needed. Um, uh, there's an episode that goes into this. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure, but like, I'm saying that it wouldn't, it would make perfect sense if he wasn't though. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. Like there's yeah. like every possible character, like a paper cutout, a sticker, yeah. a flower, a computer animated Tyrannosaurus. Like, it, yes. It, it makes me wonder if there's a name for this kind of genre. That's a mix of animals and objects as people with like, uh, realities just kind of off kilter. You know, like Tuca and Birdie, Bee and Puppycat, Cuphead Show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There must be a term yeah. for this kind of show. Maybe. Uh, anyway, so the, the stories of uh, Amazing World of Gumball, I think, are generally about Gumball and Darwin experiencing childhood dilemmas, or at least funny scenarios through the eyes of children uh, who are pop culture savvy. Um, their world is crazy, uh, though ironically enough, usually it's live action. Uh, yeah. Gumball's family are flash style 2D animation, but there are no rules for anyone else. Uh, yeah. They can be utterly different styles and media, including CG, collage, whatever. Yeah. One of the characters is like somebody's upside down chin with googly eyes on it. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. No, it, it is. Or uh, does, her name doesn't, is Sussy. Doesn't surprise me, I should say. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, her name is Sussy. <laughs> the first episode... I'm looking at is The Mustache from season one. Uh, we begin in the Watterson household kitchen. House husband Richard struggles to open the cereal box for his children's breakfast. Gumball and Darwin voice that they don't want to go to school, but they're denied. They fantasize about growing up so they can do cool stuff like drive trucks, stay up all night, and vote. Anyway, Richard gets a delivery at the door. It's a box of male supplements, and he has a dramatic midlife crisis and flees the room. So then, on the school bus, Gumball and Darwin continue to fantasize about being grown up. They see a shooting star, in this case, a star person with arms and legs that's waiting for the bus, and they make a wish on it, but it doesn't seem to work. Uh, then in class, Mrs. Simeon, their baboon teacher, is outlining a lesson on puberty and growing up. Uh, on the subject of acne... Uh, Darwin gets a very timely pimple. His brother helpfully covers it with a tiny derby hat. But the breakout spreads over Darwin's head. And then Gumball gets a bunch of pimples. The two panic and run to the bathroom to pop them all. The next part of growing into a man occurs, and Darwin grows a mustache. Gumball chews some gum, appropriately enough, and uses it to wax the fish's mustache, which is a funny sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but then both of them grow a lot of facial hair. And <laughs> during that classroom scene, the version I watched had an, a one of those uh, overlaid Cartoon Network ads for something called Level Up. Oh, yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of boys, boys and girls fired a missile at some kind of monster. <laughs> they should outlaw these kinds of things. Yeah, really. Um, all right. So the cartoon proper. When physical education class starts, they're, uh, the, the two brothers are stripped altogether of fur and scales uh, during that. They're, they're, they're waxing. But it's only for one shot because of reasons of cartoon. Yeah. Um, anyway, the, the class is dodgeball. Tina Rex, that's the uh, 
CG Tyrannosaurus Rex threatens to bully them through the activity, but when Gumball reaches his limit, he catches the dodgeball, grows in size and muscle like the Hulk, and grows a mustache, and he hurls the ball with enough force to send Tina through the wall. Darwin also grows bigger, as well as a full beard. The two freak out at the sight of each other. They theorize that wishing on that star did work, and so they leave school and have a musical interlude about all the things they can do as men, like chop down trees, pay more at the movies, get tattoos, and so on. And their next logical progression is to get jobs. Um, at a job placement office, a sour-spirited cupcake person disparages their lack of job skills. She gets frustrated at their childishness and quits, leaving them to fill her vacancy. In their limited understanding, the two do their jobs by hiring and firing. They fire several people in the office. I especially like the real-life dog they fire, uh, <laughs> as well as the paperwork form with a face on a desk. Uh, let's see. So the two brothers get to a chain of firing and hiring each other, but ultimately the timing ends up that both are fired by each other. Uh, they commiserate at their shared shabby apartment, now poor and starving under the harsh and sudden reality of adulthood. Uh, the banging at their door turns out not to be their scary landlord, as they fear, but their sister, enlarged and deep-voiced, also with a mustache. Back at the house, Richard unhappily gazes at his shirtless middle-aged body and whines to his wife. The kids show up then, and Anais uh, correctly hypothesizes that they all changed because they mistakenly ate their father's male supplements. You know, a little switcheroo with the cereal box. Yeah. Uh, luckily, the effects will only last the week, and Nicole loves her husband just the way he is, saggy boobs and all. Yeah. Anyway, they all go out to play. Darwin and Gumball look pretty silly on the bouncy rides at the playground, and an oversized Anais blows her father over when she comes back after he pushes her on the swing. Yeah, there's, <laughs> your, there's, there's your first episode of Gumball. And hey. uh, good start. I'm having fun. I hadn't really watched yeah. a lot of it. So, yeah. The uh... Yeah, I haven't actually watched much of the first season. Okay. Um, it's weird. Like, they made one season and then, you know, a lot of shows like evolve over time or get rebooted or whatever. Gumball mm. is kind of weird in that they did the first season and then after the first season, they just redid all the character designs. Huh. I guess. I mean... Not, not to a dramatic degree, though, eh? No, no, it's not dramatic. It's subtle, like the shape of their eyes, the shine on their bodies, uh, the shape of um, um, Nicole's hips is different. Uh, I, I think it might be a good things. idea, because when you have mm. this kind of flash-style animation, you have assets that could get very stale. It's probably good to give yeah. them a good refresh. If you, if you were drawing every frame, there would be a natural evolution, right? So yeah, it's probably a good yeah. idea. Um, yeah. Anyway, we get to the, the second half episode here. Uh, this one's from season five, and it's called The Uncle. Uh, Gumball and Darwin hustle because they're late for school. They pass their classmate, Ocho, a loud, simplistic video game spider. The brothers hustle ahead because Ocho is a threatening weirdo. But when they get to school, the spider's already there. It turns out that his uncle Mario gave him a lift. Gum <laughs> Gumball jokingly suggests that he got picked up in his go-kart. Because he's alluding to Nintendo's Mario. Um, and Ocho, as though playing along, 
describes that his uncle only go-karts on the weekend because he's too busy with his plumbing business. Further inquiry by the blue cat ferrets out uh, further similarities to the video game icon, and convinced that Ocho's uncle is THE Mario, he ingratiates himself uncertainly from marriage to adoption to dating, and finally, the, the correct course, friendship. Hmm. Um, Darwin warns his bro against the ethics of manipulating others, as well as the inherent trouble of manipulating a psycho like that 8-bit spider. And <laughs> there's a scene, I like, really like a shot of Darwin's really smug face in this scene. Um, <laughs> uh, accordingly, uh, Ocho makes Gumball accompany him to a rumble to see if he's got his back in a fight. In fact, he starts a fight with, an, with a few takers in the next instant. Uh, the other kids are a Cuphead-style bomb person, a rat, and a really mean-looking cupcake. Uh, Gumball whispers to try to set up staged fighting, but it just gets him beaten by that cupcake. And while he's got a dented garbage can over his head, he remains committed to fake fighting, and the, cu and the cupcake trips on a broom and gets crushed by the stack of a bench press machine. <laughs> it's really graphic. Her blood-like insides are leaking. Uh, and Gumball approves of her performance. But when she asks, asks for an ambulance, she chides, Okay, now you're just being hammy. Um, <laughs> so anyway, in the library, Ocho gives his next test. The revelation of his real name, Harry Tootmorsel. The cat barely holds it in. Uh, next, uh, Gumball lends... Ocho, $100, much to the chagrin of Darwin. It turns out that the hundo bill was lifted from their parents, and so during a cutaway, their schlamozzle of a father tries to buy a hundred expired donuts for a dollar, but gets lured into a store credit scheme that compounds 100% interest per second. Um, okay, so when the school bus drops Gumball off at the end of the day, Immediately, a burlap sack is thrown over his face and he's abducted. He's put to a test by his kidnapper to either jump off a ledge or have Ocho suffer that fate instead. Terrified, he eventually takes the jump, which is not very far. It turns out this is a hoax by Ocho, who was the kidnapper, and was making the demands through a voice-modulating megaphone. Uh, so Gumball's pushed quite far at this point. He endures one more test. Get rid of Darwin with a hammer. Uh, he just hammers up a false declaration that Darwin is no longer his bestie, which his brother takes well since it's not for reals. <laughs> um, anyway, the excitable kitty runs off to play golf with Ocho and Uncle Mario, himself taking a turn as a low-res game sprite that runs and jumps and sings a tune that befits gaming legend Mario. When he, <laughs> when he slides down the flagpole, he meets Mario, and it's not that Mario, although he's halfway a facsimile, mostly dressing the part. Yeah. Uh, I think Mario is so ubiquitous in public consciousness that parodies like this are fair game. <laughs> I would bet that in the minds of little kids, he's more recognizable than characters like Superman. Hmm, so You may be right. Yeah, m maybe more than Mickey Mouse. Um, maybe. Uh, okay, so jump ahead to Gumball scrubbing his eyes with his toothbrush to clean the image of Uncle Mario's butt crack from his memory. 
a better joke than uh, the running washboard gag from Timon and Pumbaa. Pumba. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I like that his eyelids also spit at the end. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a talk with Darwin makes him arrive to the decision to break up his sham friendship with Ocho in the gentlest way possible. A bare chested R&B song in the rain. And actually, Ocho takes it pretty well, admitting that he acts the way he does because of trust issues. Not because he's a maniac, but because of his famous uncle. Not Mario, but the one that's a super fast blue hedgehog. And little Gumball never learns, and he races after Ocho, just like that other video game icon, in order to meet the other uncle. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, mustaches in both these things. Good job. One cartoon, <laughs> one cartoon, several mustaches. Yep. Yep. Now, you I know, was trying to think they he wasn't in this episode, either of these episodes, but their principal. Yeah. Is a like a cousin it style hair thing. Oh, yeah. He's all mustache. And I I felt like there was an episode where he grew extra hair and I was looking for that one, but I couldn't think of what it was called. Oh, well, no, no doubt the title mustache caught your eye. Um, it did. The sec is finding the second half was the hard one. Mm. Um, I kind of lucked into the uncle. I was like, oh, it's about Mario. That's kind of like a mustache. Sure. And, and you know, probably the reasoning was uncles have mustaches. Um, yeah. No, I never really watched the show. Yeah. And it. OK, so I probably come off as a sourpuss that doesn't like the new comedy cartoons. And mm hmm. And largely that's because of designs. Like I see something yeah. like the lower decks and go, ugh. And that's not, <laughs> that's not even a particularly ugly one. Um, but it's just like the lack of ambition. And I have always liked Gumball and Darwin, even without yeah. having seen the show. Uh, you mentioned Bubble Bobble before in the chat part, and they kind of have that Bubble Bobble sort of aesthetic going. The proportions, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they really appeal to me. And... Uh, it's backed up because the voice acting is good too. And the comedy is good. Um, mm -hmm. It makes me wonder how fine the line is though, between this and a bad show that this one's so visually interesting that it has such likable characters. I mean, I guess it's not that final line when I say it that way <laughs> between, <laughs> between this and a show with unlikable characters. Um, I, th I thought of the evil twin to the show. Do you remember a show called code monkeys? No. It was a show about a studio that made video games. Um, God, it's awful. God, it's yeah. unlikable. <laughs> so I kind of put it at the fine. It doesn't have quite the same visual ambition. It's all about uh, doing jokes, references to old video games. But yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Like you, it, it, It's on a knife's edge almost, right? And I guess it spins to something really good like this. At least in my limited experience, I like this quite a lot. It is a good show. I have watched most of it. Mm. Um, it's another one of those shows that I kind of trailed off at some point. But I went through a period where I was binging it. Yep. And I mean, there's a lot of episodes, so it, yeah. it took some time. But I was really into it. Like, I, I liked The Amazing World of Gumball a lot. Um, it has some really smart humor to it. Sure. Really sharp, like, like kind of scathing commentary, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, at some points. Um, like, I remember one episode where... Uh, I, I can't remember the exact context, but Nicole was talking about how how wonderful modern society was. Like, unless you're a woman or a minority, or you're living under the threat of nuclear war all the time, and things like that. And and her family all goes, and she just goes, yeah. What is a minority in this world? 
Ah, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know. Is a crumpled piece of paper person minority? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a really good question. Yeah, yeah. But they like it's fun. Like they yeah. they did one episode that was just um the daily lives of the inanimate objects around town. Oh yeah, uh, it was oh, a musical too. The, the actual inanimate objects or the ones with legs and arms and stuff. No, I mean I mean like like the Watersons shower head. Okay, and a fire hydrant and things like that. Yeah, there's there's at least one, possibly two episodes that are like anthologies of the YouTube videos that the citizens of Elmore are making and uploading mm. like, like reacting to things, eating things, mm. uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's a lot of fun. Like, and just, you know, there's all these different characters and most of them eventually get an episode devoted to them. Like, like the, the uncle one was kind of Ocho's episode. Yeah. But there'll be an episode about Tina There'll be an episode about there's an ice cream cone. I think her name is Susan, but I don't remember exactly. Okay. And she's like this otaku fangirl. Mm. Um, she gets a magic book that any fan fiction she writes in it comes true. And okay. so she's just she's just doing all the worst fan fiction stuff to all the characters around town. And it's, you know, people falling in love with each other and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's an episode that ends with an anime fight scene between Nicole and one of the other, uh, kids mothers. And it's like animated, like, like different animators have animated it. So it sure. like, really looks like anime. Um, just wild. Anything goes in the amazing world of Gumball and yeah. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. But it's not obnoxious. Like that could be, or at least it could be. I, I imagine it's not right. I imagine it sets everything up really nicely. Right. Rather than, no, it's, I mean, it, it could be the fun. family guy, right? Like I almost described the cutaway to the, to the hundred expired donuts being like a family guy transition. It, it kind of is, except that it's in context. Sure. Where it's, it's not like, Oh yeah, there's that. Yeah. He's, he's like, he's like, Oh, I've, I, you know, our, our parents don't even have a hundred dollars. And he's like, well, not anymore. They don't. And then right. it cuts to Richard trying to buy something. Whereas in family guy, it was be like, this is like the time I was trying to buy a hundred expired donuts and got into that pyramid scheme. Right. And then it would spend five minutes on that. Right. This was in context. Plus, plus the distinction again, I say that I, we like these characters. So <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's got some heart too. Like there's yeah. an episode uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's like the choices or the decision or something like that. And it's Nicole is kind of angry at Richard and she's sort of going over her mind the day she met Richard and what would happen if she had done something differently. And so she's imagining the way that her life would turn out if she hadn't made friends with Richard. Oh, hmm. and, but it ends with like this, this really poignant look at their early life where like Nicole's parents don't approve of her being with Richard and they're like living in this little shack, heating up boiling water to eat ramen mm. and like, you know, and then she's got her fat stomach and kind of like doubles over like, oh, when the contractions start and that kind of thing. Like it's, it's really like heartfelt and deep. Huh. Hard to believe since he's kind of like Homer Simpson, but, <laughs> but he's, well, he's got that too, I guess. Yeah. He's, he's a basically good guy. He's also fun in that he's literally unemployable. Oh yeah. 
like there's an episode where he gets a job and the world starts falling apart because the balance of the universe has been so disrupted by Richard being employed. Uh, it's like for the safety of the universe, you have to stay home and do nothing. Uh, hey, You're that inept. Hey, homemaking is a full time job. It is. Which we saw his 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 uh, breakfast was just opening a cereal box, which he couldn't do. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, um, uh... yeah. You ever seen those uh, Cartoon Network commercials? They're station ID things where they have all their properties together, like in a. It, it's it's like the look of this show. I'm I bet there's some crossover from people who produce those, where it's live action backgrounds and you know Dexter will be there and Ed Ed and Eddie and so on. We'll all be in the same place. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's a lot like that. Or uh, I think there's some cross. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's some crossover from those commercials to gorillas videos, music videos, that is because <laughs> there's a lot of that there, too, like live action props and so on. And oh, no, yeah, like the, I there's like there'll be like videos that are entirely live action except for the gorillas characters. Right. Right. Totally. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I had a really good time. This was fun. In fact, yeah, over, overall. I was laughing the whole time reviewing uh, Gumball and The Tick. They're both good shows. Yeah. The Tick is great. Gumball is great. Yeah. Um, great times. <laughs> uh, now, can we maintain this good streak? <laughs> or break the cycle? <laughs> I don't know. I am confident in what I've selected. We're going to okay. do shorts next week. Um, I stumbled it. Well... I wasn't originally going to do a theme, but once I got half of it, I was like, you know what? I should just go whole hog with this. Uh, first of all, a cartoon character we haven't looked at yet. Okay. Something I like to do. Mm -hmm. uh, Chili Willy. Oh, boy. Okay. The uh, penguin mm -hmm. uh, in the Woody Woodpecker world. Um, simple title for this one. It's just called... I'm cold. <laughs> All right. Chilly Willy, I'm cold. Yeah, try to remember. Yeah. Um, The other one, the title may not immediately ring a bell, but you know what this cartoon is. Mm -hmm. It's Bugs Bunny. It's called Eight Ball Bunny. Hmm. Okay. You'll know it as soon as you see the title screen. I think I will, yeah. Okay. Chilly Willy, I'm cold. Eight ball bunny. Okay, Matsy, I went themeless. Right. <laughs> um, first up, first cartoon I'd like you to watch is Spider Man. Uh, I would like you to watch the episode "Captured by J. Jonah Jameson." Hey, you mentioned him earlier. I did. Yeah. yeah. Is this is the like old '60s yes. Spider Man? Yes. Okay. Catches crooks just like flies. Look out. Um. All right. Okay, the other cartoon I'd like you to watch is from Ivan Maximov. We did this last time. Well, this time. Oh. I'd like you to have a look at Alternative Walk. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Sure, I'll watch that. Uh, you should watch it too and continue to watch and listen to this show. Uh, mm -hmm. Interact with us. Ask us things. Tell us things. Show us your awesome mustache. <laughs> uh... I am at AC Matsy on Twitter. And all the same stuff, I am at Drab Swatch on Twitter. And now, here it is, when Titans clash, Excelsior, my merry celery eats. Nuff said, the Celery Stalker's slogan.
Okay, now you're just being hammy. 